0: Well, if you turn in your Bibles now, as we begin our study, we come to the book of Matthew. We have uh, completed a few weeks ago the book of 2 Corinthians. And before we jump into a new book, I thought we would cover some topics in which are perhaps relevant in this time. Matthew chapter 6. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew is a Jew who writes about a Jew for his readership, who are also Jews, about Christ, the King. And in the Sermon on the Mount, the first of a number of sermons that Jesus gives, a spectacular sermon in which he speaks on various subjects, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, we read about the subject of anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. We're starting our reading in verse 24 of chapter 6 in order to give you a context. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 and following, we'll be reading all the way to verse 34. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. The text reads, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's bow together in a word of prayer before we begin our study. Our God in heaven, we give you thanks for your word, for it is eternal. As your word has declared, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. O Father, may we divide it rightly, may we understand it correctly, illumine our minds and grant to us understanding. May your spirit fill us with joy, for your word is true. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. When I went to seminary some 20 years ago in the first years of ministry as well, the first years of leading this church, I have to say it has been or it was some of the most stressful and anxiety-filled moments that I have experienced. Sometimes when I look back, even I look back and I reflect upon those times and I realize there were times that I was very much anxious or somewhat bent out of shape, worried about so much that I had on my mind. How was I going to pay for tuition? Was I going to do well in my seminary classes? How do I translate this Greek and this Hebrew phrase and fitting into the church that I was ministering in in the youth ministry in Los Angeles? Or am I going to fail in ministry? Or every sermon or lesson that I would teach would be something from scratch, You can imagine perhaps what it might be in the early days of ministry when somebody perhaps likening it to a cook. If you were cooking for the very first time and you were trying to learn everything from how to boil an egg to how the stove works, well, you perhaps might not feel so stressed were it be that every single week you would have a big family gathering and you were to have all of the dishes cooked for everyone to come. From the grocery store shopping, to the cooking, to the levels of stress, you would have the worry and anxiety that might, you might be tempted to fall into. Wow, that was a little bit of what it was like in those early years. So we appreciate, especially in reflection of that, all of you who cooked your own Thanksgiving dinners and all of those who made wonderful meals and hosted our Thanksgiving dinners these past few weeks. It has been a wonderful blessing to enjoy the fellowship that we have. But life presents itself with many, many times that we are tempted to fall into worry or anxiety or to be fearful. These past couple of weeks, we've watched the news when all-out war was a major concern in the Middle East as Israel and Hamas faced each other off. Domestically, we listened to the news about the upcoming fiscal cliff and what our economy is going to happen in that realm. This Thanksgiving, thousands on the East Coast were without homes because of Hurricane Sandy, And then everyone here, I'm sure, has personal concerns that are on their minds, from unemployment to health or well-being or even their direction in life. There are things that people worry about regarding one's children, regarding relationship conflicts, regarding money, regarding the stresses that come because of the holidays. Then there are things that people face. People face... Fears, anxiety attacks, or bouts of whatever it may be that can even be overwhelming, can even be paralyzing, can even be a hindrance in people's lives. Some people constantly live with fear, constantly live with worries, constantly live with anxieties that are both real and imaginary. Now, I'm sure that everyone here would desire to live a life that is peaceful, that has no worries, that is a carefree life. So the world presents their solutions, their solutions to what would be the problem. If you got an issue, if you go see your doctor, of course, you're not going to expect your family doctor to pull out a Bible and say, you know what, you really ought to focus on these things. You really ought to find your mind on these." No, a doctor is going to do what he does best, He'll say, well, let me prescribe this for you. Here's a pill. Or maybe you should exercise more. Maybe you should take breathing exercises. Maybe go get a massage. You need a vacation. Don't drink so much coffee. Maybe it's what you eat. Maybe it's whatever it may be. The world offers their solution to worry and anxiety, but it's merely a Band-Aid over the spiritual underlying issue of the heart. Because prior to sin entering into the world in the early chapters of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve faced no anxiety, no worry, no fear. In fact, the first instance of the word occurring in Genesis chapter 3, after sin had appeared and after sin had come in because of Adam's disobedience. The Bible says in chapter 3, verse 9 of Genesis, Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Now, never prior to this was Adam afraid of God. He walked with God. He had a relationship with God that was at peace. He had fellowship like we've never really experienced, a relationship that was pure and holy and constant. But once sin entered into the world, the mere sound of God brought fear, brought anxiety to Adam's heart, and Adam hid. And that is the same that happens today. For those that live in sin, for those that have sin in their life, they hide from God. They don't want to hear. They don't want to be convicted by the word of God. They avoid the truth because they love sin. 1 John 4.18 tells us, though, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. See, where there's a perfect relationship of love, when you love God with all your heart, and you love people as you ought to, summation of God's word and God's law, then there is no fear, there is no anxiety, there is no worry. Scripture is given to us that we might have that type of relationship, where we might be at peace in the knowledge of God, thinking godly thoughts, speaking Godly things behaving in a way that would please God and that drives away fear. And here in this text today, we are commanded by God three times, three times, do not be worried. Do not be worried. And the commands come immediately after Jesus gives instruction about wealth, gives instruction about wealth because it often is tied to what money buys. For wealth can draw one into a greater independence from God or not having wealth can draw one perhaps into a greater dependence. Many times it's related to that, but Jesus turns his attention to those who would be, an- who would be anxious or worried about various things. And in this passage three times he tells them, do not be anxious, do not be worried. And here, he speaks of this particular subject that so often enters into everyone's life here. So very common of a problem. When we worry, when we are anxious... The word worry, in fact, comes from an old English word, worgen, which means to strangle or to choke, and that is the idea behind worry. It strangles and it chokes and it dominates the thinking, dominates the mind. It fills our thoughts with perhaps the things that may not even come to pass, rather than the things that are true in the Word of God. It is the word that is used, worry, in Luke 10, 41... ...when there is the account of Mary and Martha and Jesus says... ...Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. And so in this text today we see two vivid illustrations... ...and a number of rhetorical questions that Jesus gives... ...and among them we draw six principles... ...and the outline is in your bulletin. We can overcome our worries... By rearranging our priorities, by remembering our worth in God's eyes, by remembering that it is useless to worry, we rest in God's provision, we recognize God knows our needs, and we release our future to God. And the first principle comes from verse 25, when we are called not to worry, and we can overcome worry by rearranging our priorities, verse 25. For this reason I say to you, it says in the scriptures, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more important than food? And the body more than clothing? Some people worry all the time, or the vast majority of their time. And worry and anxiety dominates their life. It drives them. They worry about not having enough food or not having enough money or clothing or whatever it may be, not having enough toothpaste or whatever they need. They worry about things. If it's not one thing, it's something else that they worry about. And Jesus is telling us here, life is more important than what will be on the dinner table or what is out in the shopping malls. Whether it is grades or your success or your ministry, The question is, are our priorities right? Are our priorities biblical? Are our priorities God's priorities? If you ask yourself the question, does God truly see the things that I am worried about or anxious about, does God see them as truly significant? Are they truly things that God really cares about? At the end of your life, when you look back, Or if you knew that you only had a short time to live, would these things be key and important things that would matter not only to you, but to God? The first thing he tells us is not to be worried because our priorities need to be right. Life is more important than many of the things that we worry about. Secondly, Remembering our worth in God's eyes. Verse 26. Remembering our worth in God's eyes. Look at the birds of the air, he says. That they don't sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? In Palestine, there are many different kinds of birds, over 20 different kinds of birds. And birds, they don't get together and say, well, you're the farmer bird. And I'm going to be bringing in the worms. And you farm them. And we'll have plenty to eat. We'll have plenty that we don't need to go out and fetch food. And and you don't have birds that will build all the nests. And they don't kind of divide up the responsibilities. They're not entrepreneurial. No, God gives them life every day. God feeds them. They don't gather too much. They don't gather too much. They don't get sick unless we feed them. You know, things that we ought not, like french fries on the waterfront to those seagulls. The passage isn't saying, well, they just sit around and just say, feed me. No, birds come, and God provides for them. And they're a reminder to me. I still remember the days when I was in seminary, how they would come every morning. Every morning they would sit on my windowsill and wake me up and they would chirp and I would be reminded of this passage that God provides even for these sparrows that come to wake me up every morning. God will provide for me and my worries would disappear. Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 16th century, described his favorite preacher... He says I have one preacher I love better than any other. It is my little tame robin who preaches to me daily. I put his crumbs upon my window sill especially at night. He hops onto the sill when he wants his supply and takes as much as he desires to satisfy his need. From thence he always hops to a little tree close by and lifts up his voice to God and sings his carol of praise and gratitude tucks his little head under his wings and goes fast to sleep, to leave tomorrow to look after itself. To leave tomorrow to look after itself. If God provides for even the birds of the air, will he not provide for us? Because so much more are we, more valuable in God's eyes than the birds. Only man was created in the image of God, And if we understand how great God places his value upon us, we have nothing to worry about. In fact, in Romans 5, 8, it says, God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not for the birds, not for the crocodiles, not for the hippos. He died for you and me, people, people. God cares for us. Thirdly, we realize that it is useless to worry. It is useless to worry. Verse 27. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Or some of your versions may say cubit. That's 18 inches, often measured from the tip of the finger to the elbow. A lifespan. Add a single hour or a lifespan. A metaphor, some of your versions say sort of milestones in your life. Who can add, who can lengthen their life by even a milestone, by worrying? In the Time magazine, Jeffrey Kluger mentions that people worry over things that are of little consequence in his article, Why We Worry About the Things That We Shouldn't. He says, we all know the dangers of risk. We have a confounding habit of worrying about perceived dangers while ignoring real ones. We agonized over the avian flu, the bird flu, in 2006. But at the time, no one had ever been killed in the United States. We had been cajoled into getting bird flu shots. But yet, we have to be... Strongly encouraged to get vaccinated for the common flu, which contributes to the deaths of nearly 36,000 Americans. He goes on to say, white-knuckled flyers routinely choose to drive rather than fly when traveling long distances. Heedless that a few hundred people die in U.S. commercial airline crashes in a year, compared with 44,000 killed in motor vehicle wrecks. We wring our hands over the mad cow pathogen that might be, but almost certainly isn't in our hamburger. Yet, we hardly worry about the cholesterol that contributes to heart disease that annually kills some 700,000 of us. Shoppers still look askance at a bag of spinach for fear of E. coli bacteria while filling their carts with fat-sodden French fries and salt-crusted nachos. We put filters on our faucet, install air ionizers in our homes, and lather ourselves with antibacterial soap. At the same time, 20% of adults smoke, nearly 20% of drivers, and more than 30% of backseat passengers don't use seat belts. In short, shadowed by peril, you would think we would get pretty good at distinguishing the riskiest, likeliest things to do us harm you would be wrong, unquote. Many times the thing that, things that we worry about are inconsequential. And furthermore, they don't lengthen our life. That is the point Jesus is trying to make here. They don't lengthen our life. For everyone's life has been determined. As Ecclesiastes 3 tells us, there's an appointed time for everything. A time to give birth and a time to die. And there's a time for every event underneath the sun. Exercise and a good diet and all of those things enhance our quality of life. But God in his sovereignty has already determined our lives we are responsible to take care of our lives, that we might be able to be more effective for the kingdom of God. But even the National Institute of Aging on their age page concludes that the bottom line is currently no treatments. They say drugs or pills are known to slow aging or extend life in humans. Why worry about things we cannot control? Someone has said worry is fear's extravagance. It extracts interest on trouble before it comes due. It constantly drains the energy God gives us to face daily problems and to fulfill our many responsibilities. It is therefore a sinful waste. A woman who had lived long enough to have learned some important truths about life remarked, I've had a lot of trouble, most of which never happened. She had worried about so many things that had never occurred and had come to see the total futility of anxieties. So, to overcome worry, we're to rearrange our priorities. We're to see our worth in God's eyes. We're to see that it is useless to worry. And fourthly, we're to rest in the provision of God. To rest in God's provision, verse 28. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And he says, Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these, or did not even. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? See, by the Sea of Israel, where Jesus was... Likely giving the Sermon on the Mount somewhere around there. In the springtime, the wildflowers, some of you have been there, the wildflowers will grow and they'll be beautiful lavender and yellow. And you can imagine what it looks like along the hillsides, these beautiful spring flowers. And Jesus compares the beauty of these flowers to Solomon, and how he was clothed, but not even the beauty of these flowers would last and in the heat of the summer sun, you see these flowers would, would dry out. And women in those days, they would take these flowers and they would cut them and they would use them as as a little tinder to burn in their ovens when they baked bread and other things. That is what Jesus means here. Are they not much more to be thrown out in the furnace And if God makes, if God makes and provides the beauty of the field, how much more will he take care of you? And he says, oh, of little faith, of little faith. Oh, man, of little faith, that phrase is used in Matthew 8. It's used in the case when Peter was fearful of drowning during a storm at sea because in Peter's case he, he, he saw the Savior and there was a storm and he climbed out of the boat and he began, and to surprise, he was walking on the water towards Jesus. But when he looked at the storm, he began to sink. We face difficulties and there are storms and we see Jesus and we keep our eyes fixed on him. God will uphold us. Oh, man of little faith, oftentimes, this characterized the disciples. Not only in that case, characterizing Peter, but it characterized the disciples. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus fed 5,000. And in Matthew 15, the next chapter, he fed 4,000. What happened in chapter 16? His disciples just forgot he had fed 9,000 plus people and they were concerned. Why? Because they had forgotten to bring bread along in their journey in Matthew 16, the following chapter. O oh, man of little faith, Jesus calls them. They had seen God provide and yet they did not trust. Worrying, you see, strikes out at the character of God and says, God, I'm not sure if I can really trust I'm not sure if I can really trust that you're going to provide. If I obey, then what will you do, Lord? Will you pull through for me? And it doubts the promises of God. and That is why it is so important to know who God is. Because the more we know who God is, the greater our trust will be of him. The greater our worship will be of him. Fulton Sheen says, worry is a form of atheism. For it betrays a lack of faith and trust in God, unquote. Do we trust God? Do we read the word of God and trust that these are the very words of God? That they are inerrant and they have been given to us. That we might have life and peace. James reminds us in James 4.2, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. When we pray and we ask of God, do we really believe? Do we ask without wrong motives? To overcome worry, we're to rearrange our priorities. To overcome worry, we're to remember our worth in God's eyes. To overcome worry, we need to remember that it's useless We rest in God's provision and we, fifthly, recognize God knows our need. For the second time, in verse 31, Jesus directly commands us, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The first time, the Greek implies, stop worrying. That is the first time in the implication in verse 25. Stop worrying. The second time, here in verse 31, the implication is, don't even begin to worry. Why? These are the things that God already knows. The Gentiles, those that do not know God, are continually or eagerly seeking it. The implication behind the word is that they seek and they really pursue. Every day they wake up and they greet their master in the bathroom and they say, what do you want? As they look in the mirror, but God knows as the Christian wakes up in the morning and goes to God and says, what do you want? To seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It means to be absorbed when it says that. To seek first, to be absorbed in the search for, and to have strenuous effort to look into the word of God and to look and obey first. It doesn't say second. It doesn't say when I have time. It doesn't say in addition to. It says seek first the kingdom. To seek first God and his righteousness, to be absorbed in those things. Every other year we have the Olympics that come and the athletes are absorbed every morning. They get up and they have a strict diet, they have a strict regimen, they train rigorously because why? They have their focus on winning that gold medal and they seek it and they're absorbed in it. We simply need to say to God, God, I want to seek you first. I know you've promised to provide for all my needs. And if I don't receive it, must not be in need of it at this time. Must not be your desire. And we submit ourselves to God. So we recognize God knows our needs. And lastly, we release our future to God. We release our future to God, verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's easy to worry. Easy to be anxious about tomorrow. People lose a lot of sleep, as I mentioned, about the what-ifs in life. What if this were to happen? What if that were to happen? And the Bible teaches us, of course, to make reasonable precautions for the future. We're to stave. We're to store. We're to prepare for needs and, and be prepared for disasters. But one survey that was taken that I read about an average person's anxiety, it has focused 40% on things that will never happen. 30% about things in the past that can't even be changed. 12% on criticisms by others, mostly untrue. 10% about health, which gets worse with worry and anxiety. And 8% about real problems that will be faced. Jesus' advice is, each day has enough trouble of its own. Be faithful to God today and he will take care of tomorrow. To worry about tomorrow is wrong. To trust in God for his grace each day is right. Someone said, worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. So we can conquer our worries, conquer our anxieties when we rearrange our priorities to have God's priorities we remember our worth in God's eyes that we are worth so much more than the birds of the air and yet God daily he takes care of these birds we realize it is useless to worry nobody can expand their life lengthen their life by worrying we rest in God's provision recognize God knows our needs and we trust God with the future because of who God is because of who God is, you know. This past week, I was so tempted to go skiing. It was the opening week, and I was thinking really about going skiing. And I was already a short week, though I realized I had other things I had to do. And if you're a skier, you perhaps you've heard about those who like to go tree skiing. Tree skiing to some might sound like a death wish, but there are those who like to go tree skiing. I, 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 I'm, I'm not that good. I just ski where everybody else skis. But some skiers like the risk of skiing virgin powder through uh, the aspens and the Bruce, spruce trees. And the, the key is, of course, not hitting the tree. And that can be tricky. Tim Etchells, in his article, The Trees, Lovely, Dark, and Deep, writes, even more so than in deep snow or moguls, what you face or what you focus your eyes on becomes critical in the woods. Look at the spaces between the trees, the exits where you're hoping to be traveling. Or in other words, the words of extreme skiing world champion Kim Rykel says, don't stare at what you don't want to hit. And many times, that is what the warrior does. All they can fixate on is what they're going to hit. And they focus not on God, but on the things that consume their minds, that dominate them and cause anxiety in their heart. And their perspective in their minds are filled with the what ifs, this, what if that. Our minds are not to be filled with those things, but be filled with the things that God has given to us in his word with the truth of his word, with thoughts that are honorable, thoughts that are praiseworthy. As Isaiah 26, 3, 4 says, the steadfast of mind, you want to have a steadfast mind? Thou wilt keep in perfect peace he whose mind is stayed on thee. You know what the New Testament teaches? If you turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, a very important passage, and sometimes we fail to look at the verses following it, Philippians 4, verse 6. Paul writes, as he is imprisoned to the Philippian church, a letter of joy. And he reminds him of Philippians 4, verse 6. He says, be anxious for nothing. He doesn't say be anxious for some things or be anxious for a small number of things. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication... With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence or anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Want to know how to overcome anxiety or worry? We know that Jesus commands it here three times for us. And when we worry, we need to confess our sin, that it is sinful to worry and to be anxious. We confess that before God. We give thanks to God in prayer when we ask of God. And what do we do? We fill our minds with things that are true, it says in Philippians. Whatever is honorable, whatever is right or pure, lovely, good repute, worthy of praise, if people were able to see all of your thoughts in your mind, would they say, that is an excellent thought. That is a great thing to think about. Wow, I wish I could think as admirably as that. I admire that thought. If people could see your thoughts, would they say, that is pure, that is lovely. Do you fill your mind with those things? Do you fill your mind? Because when you do, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. As Peter reminds us, we cast our cares and our anxieties upon him because God cares for us. God can be trusted with whatever situation you're in. And God has called us, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Because aren't you worth more than sparrows? He will take care of whatever you're concerned about. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks. For, Father, we call you, Father, we desire, O oh God, to rest in your peace, the peace that you give that transcends all understanding that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We pray, O oh Father, that you would take away the worries, the concerns. We confess them, Father, as sin, As we know, O God, that you are the one in your wisdom who has orchestrated all things to come to pass, we pray, God, that we might do what is right in your eyes, that our faith might grow, that we might not be people of little faith, but of great faith, and that our Father, you would be true, that you would provide, that you would meet our needs. And grant to us peace. In Jesus' name, amen.